Hello, this is Lyle Phillips, Senior Pastor at Iris Nashville, and I would like to personally thank you for downloading and listening to our podcast each week. To find out more information about Iris Nashville, you can find us online at irisnashville.com. Thanks, and God bless. Come on, give Jesus a shout of praise tonight. Jesus, we love you. We magnify you. We lift you up. Jesus, we declare there's no one like you, there's no one but you, and that you, if you would be high and lifted up in Nashville, Tennessee tonight, then you would draw all men unto yourself. And Lord, our hearts desire, the thing that drives us, the thing, the reason that we exist, what our hearts are burning for, is to see a city on fire for you. To, city, to see a city and a region, uh, Lord, that is in relationship with a God who loves it so much. And Lord, this uh, afternoon, this evening, God, I ask that you would just come, that you would pour out your spirit, that Lord, today, you wouldn't just come and touch us, but God, you would come and you would change us. That Lord, you wouldn't just come and bless us, but God, you would come and you would transform us to be uh, into the image of Jesus Christ, your son. Lord, I thank you for miracles in the room today. Lord, I thank you for those things that you are, uh, you are adjusting, you are recalibrating, you are aligning. Lord, I thank you for the physical touches, uh, Lord, from your hand that, Lord, are going to change people on the outside and on the inside. And uh, just standing here, as soon as I stood up here, I felt like some of you are about to be rewired. And, and I felt like the Lord, I don't know if somebody has, you have like a nerve condition, something like rheumatoid arthritis, fibromyalgia, something in the nervous system of your body. But I feel really strong right now. Uh, that the hand of the Lord over the next few minutes is about to completely rewire you. That, that pain is completely leaving and that you're going to feel a, a fresh fire, a fresh touch from God come. I feel like there's been somebody in the room, it's like you've had this on again, off again, bouts with uh, dizziness and equilibrium. And, and I just felt like the Lord was about to release perfect balance in the room right now, that some of you, the Lord is bringing you to that place where he's balancing your body. I felt like there's a cleansing stream, like almost like a transfusion of the blood of Jesus just coming uh, tonight. I, I saw him uh, infusing his blood into your blood. I, I feel some of you, even the cellular makeup of your body is about to be healed. I feel like there's some people in the room, you came with a desperate need for God to break through in relationships, and I feel like that this is a miracle month for relationships. I feel like marriages are about to be restored. I feel like relationship even with parents are about to be restored. With siblings, there's about to be salvation among siblings. But I feel like it is a month of redemption. It is a month of restoration. It is a month of salvation that God is up to something major. And even as you're in transition, I feel like the Lord has some supernatural surprises for you still in this location. I feel like that you have been anointed to occupy uh, this space for these next few weeks because there's something shifting over this region of, of, of Music Row and all of those things. But actually there's gonna be a launching from here uh, into East Nashville. And I just feel like the, the word is uh, prepare to accommodate. Uh, I feel like that you're actually, uh, I feel like there's about to be rapid growth in East Nashville for you. Uh, I feel like that you're about to see the ripple and the triple effect. I feel like there's a ripple effect of obedience, but I actually feel like you're gonna begin to grow, to begin to triple 
in a sense, it's not about the numbers, it's about the names, but I feel like there's something strategic about the move. Uh, and I feel like that there's some things, almost feel like there were some things that were started in that area, in that, in that place many years ago. And other people have kind of pulled out and backed out. Even some churches that have locations there, people go, uh, they come into it, but they leave it again. But I feel like that God is giving you roots in that, in that place, in that region that's going to begin to change things over Gallatin Pike, over Gallatin Road, all of that area there, even into five corners. I believe the hand of the Lord uh, is about to move mountains in that region for you. So get ready. I feel like Jehovah Shammah is already there. He's preparing the place and and uh, Lord, I just thank you uh, for signs sealed and delivered. Lyle, I just feel like the Lord uh, is about to release to you deeds. He's about to release to you buildings. He's about to release to you lands. And I just really feel like this is a season uh, where the Lord said that I'm about to provide for the pioneer. And even as I put that pioneering thing on the inside of you, the Lord says that uh, I'm about to provide for it uh, like never before. And I just really feel like for you and uh, for Allison and Isaiah and the, and the new nugget on the way, I just felt like the Lord said that this is a season of divine opportunities. And I saw the Lord opening the door, but I also saw the Lord opening the book. And I felt like the Lord said that this is gonna be a season of paid in full. Uh, and many people talk about the World War II uh, generation being the greatest generation that has ever lived. And uh, I understand that and I agree with it. They paid an amazing price. But I felt like the greatest generation to ever live is actually this generation right now that's getting ready to come out yeah, yeah. of the shadows and the ashes. And I just felt like that the Lord said, uh, some would try to make you a general. Some would call you a pioneer. Some would call you a, a pastor. But the Lord said, I'm making you a father in the city. And I felt like the Lord said that this is a season where you're going to begin to demonstrate friendship with God and the fatherhood of God like never before. And you're about to see what has never been seen before in the city limits of Nashville and beyond. And I just felt like the Lord is saying the same thing to you as he said to, to Heidi about Mozambique when, when the word came, do you want a nation? I feel like the Lord is asking you, do you want a city? Yeah. And do you want a region? And do you want a generation? Mm. And so, Lord, I just thank you yes, that, Lord, God. this is the right place. This yeah. is the right people. This is the right time. And, Lord, I bless what you're doing yeah. in this place like never before. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated if you can. Uh, thanks for... Uh, being here, uh, sorry we were a little late. We were in Legacy Church in Owensboro and God showed up today and I think we finally walked out about quarter to two in the afternoon and then we had to go get some lunch because you don't get a figure like this hanging out in a gym. You know, you can tell Lyle does CrossFit. I like the cross, I let him get fit. Um, it, it's great. Uh, I, I, I used to be in shape, but now I'm just a shape and uh, round is a shape and it's great. And uh, to me, more is more. And um, some people like six packs. I like kegs. Uh, and, um, and so I'm starting a new trend. If you want to get on this trend, it's a whole lot easier and funner and you don't sweat so much. So it's perfect just for you. And uh, I have a cheap get in rate of $9.99. Just sitting no, I'm just kidding. Uh, it's absolutely free. But uh, what a great honor and a privilege to... to <laughs> I'm glad for you to see me today. And... Um, it, it's so great to be here, but, but God showed up this morning. We saw people give their life to the Lord and people set free and transformed. And 
Uh, I love that. I love that God is in a transforming business. And it's always great to have my daughter with me. She's actually a Nashvilleite now. She goes to Belmont University. And so she's beautiful on the front row. Uh, I'm going to ask her to stand up. She's not going to do it. Um, but she's amazing. And she has a roommate, Molly, and her friend Trenton, all from Belmont. So they're with me on the front row. And uh, so my job is to just freak them out today. So if I get like crazy and run around and all that stuff, uh, it is to completely ruin my daughter's reputation. No, no, it's, it's not true. Uh, but my daughter is amazing. And uh, she actually is a big part of saving my life. And um, pollen's in the air. And uh, um, six years ago in March, I was in a plane crash coming out of Uganda. Ended up with cerebral malaria, typhoid fever. Uh, and leukemia. I was in a hospital in West Florida uh, in Pensacola. Uh, things weren't looking very good for us. Um, confusion kind of came in. Uh, it wasn't looking good for me physically. And at 12 years old, she cleared the room. She said, I need everybody to leave. I tried to leave, but I was hooked up to stuff. Um, but she, uh, everybody actually listened to her. And um, she just got in my face and said, look at me, Mr. Um, I believe that Jesus is a healer, that he's going to heal you today, that malaria is going to leave, typhoid fever is going to leave, cancer is going to leave. And then she just boldly said, and I, uh, I'm prophesying to you right now that you're going to be home tomorrow by the time I get home from school. And uh, none of it made sense at the moment. I was probably having one of the worst moments that I could possibly have in the ordeal. Uh, but in about 20 hours time, things had turned around and they actually sent me home. Uh, and, and so there was the boldness of a childlike faith of a, of a 12-year-old girl who knew how to get a hold of God. Um, she is, uh, she's a princess. Uh, I've only had a corrector, I think, maybe five times in her life. And uh, that's normally about attitude with mama. And I think three of those times mama was wrong. But I, 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 I'm, <coughs> don't tell your mom or I'm in trouble tomorrow. But um, she is, she's amazing. And um, we have our own hashtag. Uh, so there. Um, she's, she's not my biological daughter, but she's very much like me. Uh, the day I married her mama, I said, I'd never call her stepdaughter because there never would be a step between me and her. Uh, and so I'm her Davy. She's my princess. And, um, so her name is Era and you should get her to pray for you so I can go to dinner later on. Uh, and, um, <clears throat> but it is, uh, it's great to be here. So many familiar faces and new faces and, uh, I love Nashville. We've actually bought a home here and in the process of moving to, uh, to Brentwood. I'm sorry, I'm a suburbanite, but I grew up in Chicago, and so I need some wide open spaces a little bit, but uh, you'll be seeing a lot more of me back then. I won't even ask Lyle's permission to come. I'll just show up. Uh, I used to come all the time, and I don't know, I did the Go Conference in 2012 or 2013, and Lyle used to have me on Sunday nights, you know, but all of a sudden, I don't hear from Lyle, but I hear from Pastor Jeff, and and so I just went up, I just stepped him. I just went up, I just went up to the dad. And so uh, I didn't even wait for Lyle to invite me. His dad invited me and I said, I'm coming. You just tell Lyle I'm coming. I'm not, not even asking his permission. I'm showing up. And uh, no, but I love, uh, I love Lyle. I love his heart. And uh, the first time I heard anything about what he was doing with Mercy 29 in India, man, it, it just, uh, it wrecked me. And then when I got to meet him and, uh, I met the hero, the legend, legend and the myth all in Mozambique, and I realized it was all true. Uh, listen, we're all on a journey, aren't we? 
We're, we're all in different stages and, and places in life and maybe in faith. Maybe some of you are just on fire. You've known the Lord for a long time and you, you know what it's like to know his presence and the glory of God and, and you may have had encounters with him and some of you, all of this is a little bit freaky to you. Uh, good, let God freak you out. Right, but can, can I just tell you that, that God has a way in our journey of just meeting us right where we are. And there is this journey. I, I believe that we're not just on a journey, but this journey actually has a destination. And that destination is the presence of God. And I believe that what God is after in this city is to cause this to be a city that is actually possessed by the presence of God. That there would be a city so in love with him, so smitten with him, so overtaken by him, so overwhelmed by him. I believe what God is about to do in this city, what God has set you up as Legacy Church Nashville is actually to make Jesus irresistible to the city of Nashville, to make Jesus irresistible to the region and to the nation and the nations of the earth. Uh, and I believe that as we are on this journey, that the heavens are about to open, that God's about to move like never before. I believe what I just said to you, what I was just doing is prophesying. It wasn't religiously packed. It wasn't thus saith the Lord. But I'm telling you right now, I'm prophesying to you that there is a major shift about to take place. That God is about to make this a habitation city where his presence dwells here. I believe it's going to be a place where people are restored and, and families are, are, are renewed and, and ministries begin to take off again like never before. I believe there's about to be major movement, not just for music and not just for the great things in this city. But I believe one of the greatest things that God wants to do in this city uh, is going to be through the church. Amen. Impacting our society, impacting our region like never before. Uh, it's a promise from God. I don't know about you. I love the promises of God, but the processes of God, not so much. I mean, how many people you like the promise of God? Now, how many of you like the process of God? There's three of you in your line. No, uh, no, uh, no. Some people do like process, but can I tell you something? I love the promise, but the process, not so much. Here's why. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32, it says these words that after the illumination, you enter into the fight of affliction. So until you know who you are and whose you are, until you understand the promise of God in your life, you're pretty much not a threat to the enemy. The enemy leaves you alone. How many know that's probably true? Right? He'll let you chart your own course, make a mess. And by the way, God's not afraid of you being, a good, the enemy's not afraid of you being a good church member. He's not afraid of you coming in the church. He's not afraid of you paying your tithe, giving your offering. None of that really threatens him. But what threatens him is when you begin to release the full-grown Jesus in you into your society. When you begin to win people to the Lord, when you begin to do damage to his kingdom, how many know that he, he, you become a threat to him? So he leaves you alone before you know who you are. But after the illumination... I think what we really need in this season is to realize we've got a very big God and a very small devil. I think we need to put things in proper perspective. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. The enemy is not. Jesus said, all power in heaven and earth was given to me. Who did he give it to? He said, all power in heaven and earth was given to me. Then what did he do? He breathed on his disciples and said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every, every creature. So Jesus had all power, all authority, and he gave it to his church. If God had all power, gave it to Jesus, Jesus gave it to you, how much is left for the enemy? None. Only what you give him. See, the enemy did not come to usurp God's throne. He couldn't do it. He came to usurp yours. 
He, he came to mess with your dominion. He came to mess with your authority, with, with your power, with, with, with your anointing. See, God is omnipotent. The enemy's not. God is omniscient. He knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. But the enemy only knows what God lets him know. God is, uh, God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. The enemy's not. And I think sometimes we, we get so caught up in what the enemy's doing, we forget to see that we've got a very big God who does very big things. And so after the illumination, you enter into the fight of affliction. I don't know about you, before I knew who I was, the enemy kind of let me to my own demise. But as soon as God began to speak to me, he spoke to me at six years old, you're going to go around the world preaching the gospel, wherever you go, lives are touching, change. Listen, I had no prophetic grid. I was just a young kid, six years old, minding my own business. My father died when I was six. I'm the youngest of, uh, of five kids. Uh, being the youngest means I'm the favorite. I should always have my way. If you're the youngest right now, there's your prophetic word, just receive it. Uh, oldest kids always feel like they're right, uh, right era. Uh, and um, <clears throat> I just told on you, right? And, and uh, my mom and my grandmother raised me and they did something very mean to me. They made me go to church. It was a dead dry religious church, longest 58 minutes of my Sunday. Uh, but I'm in the church. I am, uh, I'm there. I sang the Sunday school song. I gave my quarter in the offering. I came home, I'm in my room, I'm smashing G.I. Joes, uh, I'm, I'm blowing things up, I'm grabbing my Tonka trucks into the floorboards, I'm having a good six-year-old boy time, and the Holy Spirit drops in my room, and the voice of God comes and says, son, I've called you to, be, uh, to go around the world preaching the gospel, wherever you go, lives be touched and changed. Wow. Can I tell you something? At six years old, I didn't know any better. So I put a robe on because preachers wore robes. I lined up my stuffed animals, I got a fake microphone, and I preached my guts out. It was the best message I ever preached till this morning and now this afternoon. And right about the time Teddy Bear was about to lift his paw and give his life to Jesus, and G.I. Joe was gonna get into my healing line and get his arm put back on, and Care Bear was gonna get delivered, and we were gonna have a good Holy Spirit time. The unthinkable thing happened. My mother and my grandmother walked in and they said, what are you doing? I said, God spoke to me. Their eyes got huge as saucers. Uh, they, they didn't get the memo that God could still speak. And so they did the right thing. They took me to the pastor. Uh, the next day, I go to the pastor. They said, you tell him what you told us. I said, pastor, God spoke to me. He turned red and purple. Smoke started coming out of his ears, veins protruding. Uh, and he just started shaking his big giant print King James Bible uh, at me and at my, my mother and grandmother and said, uh, get it through your head today, boy. God doesn't do anything you read in that book. Doesn't speak, doesn't heal, don't do any of those things. And told my mother to take me to a psychiatrist, which she did. She took me to a psychiatrist named Grover Davis. How many know if your name is Grover, you have two options in life. You are a Sesame Street character or a psychiatrist. Uh, and if your name is Grover, no, you can be anything you want right now. I just prophesy freedom from your name right now. Uh, and um, <clears throat> last week was Easter. He's not in the grove somewhere. No, that's a, hey, I'm 44, the father of five. I can tell bad dad jokes and you will laugh. Uh, and, um, and so uh, she did. She takes me to a psychiatrist and he diagnoses me at six and a half years old as a schizophrenic because I heard the voice of God. What happened? After the illumination, I entered into a fight of affliction. 
Now you may say that's not a very fair thing. That's not very nice of God to put you into that predicament. But can I tell you something? It doesn't matter what the enemy says because God always speaks first. It doesn't matter what the enemy has said about you because there is a more sure word of prophecy that the Bible says that before the foundations of the earth, he knew you and he called you by name. There is a plan and there is a purpose in the life of every person in this room. Some of us, it may come easy. Some of us, it may come with a fight. Some of us, there may be struggles and there may be trials. Some of us, it may not be so much. But can I tell you something? If you are in the fight of your life, that this is not a season to quit or to shrink back. We are not of those who shrink back, but we are those who believe. We are those that believe even to the salvation of the soul and the tearing down of strongholds. Listen, I'm convinced that anything worth God giving to you is worth fighting for. And so I'm, I entered into the fight of affliction. Wasn't nice, wasn't fun. Uh, I, I was misunderstood. I, I d- decided that at seven years old, if God couldn't speak, if God couldn't do what was in that book, he wasn't real. I started smoking at seven, drinking at nine, running the streets of Chicago where I grew up uh, at 12. At 13, I tried to kill myself for the first time, tried to hang myself uh, in, uh, in our garage as I jumped off the ladder and hung there. The rope broke. I tried to uh, drive my car in Lake Michigan at, at 17 years old. The car ran out of gas. I tried to do it again. I hit a semi-truck, but I didn't get a bump, a bruise, or a scratch because I had my seatbelt on. Uh, hey, I wanted to die. I didn't want to get hurt. Besides, I didn't want a ticket, click it or ticket, right? You will laugh or we're staying here till midnight because you got to come past me to get out. Uh, and, and, and so... Uh, I, uh, I did my best. My, my mom made me go to a Christian school. So I set a record there. I set the record for in-school suspensions and detentions in a semester. I still hold the record today uh, at 19. And uh, I call back every year to make sure nobody else is getting close. If they are, they threaten. They just say, we'll kick them out. We don't want you back, Wagner. Uh, and, um, and so my reputation precedes me. Uh, and and um, I, I have to guard it. It's all I got. Uh, and so I graduated high school with a, with a D average. D is still passing. Uh, and got into college on a choir scholarship. Now, if you ever heard me sing, you'll know what my gift is not. Uh, and I, um, I got into a college on a choir scholarship. I'm working in, on the campus uh, doing security. And um, uh, I don't really care about keeping the campus safe. I just want to meet girls, just being honest with you. And as I'm just kind of cruising around, I'm in a security van. I have an orange vest. I have an oversized flashlight. I have a little uh, yellow light on top. I have two walkie-talkies. Schizophrenia came in handy. I could, I could Dave DeBase. Go ahead, Dave. This is base. It, it was great. Uh, and uh, hey, I know you're thinking that I shouldn't make fun of it, but when you've been there, done that, got the T-shirt, the wristband, and the straight jacket, it's all right. Uh, and... Um, <clears throat> Uh, and, and so <laughs> I, I'm there and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in a parking lot. A police car comes in, uh, come, rolls down the window. His name is Sergeant Bob Johnson, no relation to Bill. Uh, and he just looks at me and said, hey, you look like a good, clean-cut American boy. We're hiring. Why don't you apply? So I went. I, I put my application in. I passed the psychological exam. When you take enough of them, you realize what not to say. Like, don't look in the trunk. Uh, you, you, know, you realize, like... <laughs> Like you wouldn't write on there, I see dead people and stuff. You, you just wouldn't write those things. Uh, and um, it's four in the afternoon. We can have a little fun, all right? All the religious people have already gone to dinner there somewhere in coma land, eating, sleeping, all of those things. Uh, and, and so 
I am, uh, and so I apply, I passed the psychological, I passed uh, the physical, I passed uh, the written, and I, I passed the academy. I get on for five years uh, flying colors, but drinking kind of takes over my life. I can't uh, show up on time, and I become mean. I threaten people, uh, and I was given the opportunity to resign or be fired, so uh, I resigned, uh, and I uh, thought I was the biggest failure of uh, that ever existed, so I went to my house. I put a 38 Special in my mouth, pulled the trigger, hammer hit the bullet, but the bullet didn't come out of the gun. I actually took it all the way around uh, the cylinder. My friends on the police department uh, would share with me later that they looked, actually inspected the bullets, and each bullet had the indentation where it should have fired, but it didn't. I grabbed my Glock 17 9mm, put it to my head, pulled the trigger, hammer hit the bullet, but the bullet didn't come out. I had one in the chamber, 16 in the clip, and when they investigated and they, they grabbed a hold of that gun, there was actually one that was moved towards the front of the barrel and two more bullets that were right behind it. So it should have fired, uh, but the hand of God evidently was in it. Uh, on Easter Sunday, 1993, my grandmother had a massive stroke. Uh, they said, if you want to see her alive, say goodbye to her. You need to get to the hospital. Uh, I go to the hospital and... Um, uh, my grandmother has her lungs filling with fluid. She's in the process of dying. We're saying goodbye. We're all kind of crying and saying goodbye. Uh, and all of a sudden, my little Dutch grandmother scares the snot out of us. She sits straight up in the bed and starts singing, My Jesus, I love thee, uh, goes back into a coma, comes up four more times and finishes the song. Uh, we said goodbye about two in the morning, expecting her to die that night. The next day I went to uh, check on her uh, and my little Dutch grandmother was sitting up in the bed drinking tea and eating a piece of toast. Uh, she said, David, I know it was, uh, you were here last night. It was my night to go home and be with the Lord, but he kept me alive to tell you this. I'm sorry we didn't believe you when you were six. We just didn't know any better, but God hadn't changed his mind about you. He's called you to go around the world preaching the gospel wherever you go lies to be touched and changed. Then she said the words that I couldn't necessarily handle. She said, you'll be the one to win your brother. I have, an, my oldest sibling is my brother, uh, and I, I, I didn't want him to ever go to heaven. I didn't believe if there was a heaven or a hell, but if there was a hell, I wanted him to go there. Uh, he violently molested me, sodomized me with beer bottles from the time I was 7 to 13, would put me in a hot uh, attic in the summertime, put me in a gas dryer, turn it on. Uh, so if there was a hell, I wanted him to go there. He was my tormentor in and out of prison with uh, drug uh, addictions. Our garage got burnt down, which caused our house to catch on fire because of a $10,000 uh, cocaine debt. And so I didn't have much use of him, didn't like him. He was the most hated person uh, in my life. And so 15 minutes after my grandmother gives me that word, she uh, goes home to be with the Lord. Uh, I go running for three more years. An unusual phenomenon would happen. I would go to a bar, to a club, and they would kick me out, but no longer for fighting, but for preaching. I'd get drunk. I'd tie one on. I'd look to the guy next to me and say, Jesus loves you, man. Die on the cross for your sin, man. And they say, Wagner, make up your mind. Be a drunk or be a preacher. You can't be both. Even we know that. And uh, I, I, I discovered that misery really didn't like company. Uh, and, and so they would throw me out. Uh, I, I met a girl, and uh, we were doing all the things you shouldn't do before you get married. And, um, but there was a problem. She had a crazy Christian mother that believed the whole Bible. And we'd go over to the house, and her, her, her mama would say, I love you, and I'm praying for you. And I'd say, don't love me, love you. Don't pray for me, pray for you. Uh, and the unthinkable thing happened. The girl gives her life to the Lord, and then she gives me an ultimatum. And the ultimatum was, if you want to stay with me, you've got to go to church. Uh, but it was one of those churches. It was one of those legacy-type churches <laughs> that, that actually believes the whole Bible. And I said, I'll go, but if anybody rolls in the aisles like you holy rollers do, I'm out of there. 
And if anybody speaks in tongues like those crazy people do, I'm gone. I don't believe in anything, but I know that's not for today. So I went, I sat on the back row. It didn't take long. They had a guest preacher. How many know you got to watch out for guest speakers? Uh, this guy was a missionary to Spain, and uh, he ministered to kids in the squares of Madrid. Uh, this guy was actually dressed up like a clown. He had clown pants, clown shoes, clown suspenders, a flower that squirted water, and he preached on a unicycle. I said, look, baby, holy roller, let's go. She said, no, uh, let's stay. And um, he was the worst preacher I ever heard. He, he couldn't find his place in Scripture, couldn't find his notes. Uh, and it was all of these awkward moments of silence, kind of like that. Uh, and in one of those awkward moments of silence, this lady three rows in front of me lets out in a tongue. Sounded something like this. Keys to Ohana, shoot a mosquito, came in a Ford, left in a Chevy, burrito, taco, chicken, almond, ding, general sauce, chicken, wonton soup, right? <laughs> and the guy on the unicycle, <laughs> the guy on the unicycle gives the interpretation. And the interpretation is, there's a young man here, you're 26 years old, you've been running from God your whole life. The Lord spoke to you when you were six years old, again three years ago on your grandmother's deathbed. He's speaking to you again today. He's not changed his mind about you, he's called you to go around the world preaching the gospel. Wherever you go, lives be touched and change, and you'll be the one to win your brother. Now I wept, but I didn't respond. Listen, every revelation requires a response. When God speaks to you, when you get a prophetic word, when it jumps off the page of the scripture, when he speaks to you in that still, small voice, when God calls you out in a meeting by James Gall or Dave Wagner or whoever else, it, when you get a word from your friend sitting next to you, can I tell you something? That revelation isn't designed for you to be sit upon, but it's designed for you to build upon it. It's not a chair, it's actually a brick. It's not a chair, it's actually part of the foundation of your life. And you sure don't have to agree with me today, but if I were you, I would agree with God. Amen. Are you hearing me today? Yeah. And every revelation requires a response. And I sat there and I wept. And I see a lot of Christians that they will stay where they are and they will weep. But there is something that the Lord is bringing us back to into that place of responding. I think sometimes we, we, we take a prophecy like it's somehow optional in our life. We, we think it's like God, the suggestion of heaven. Wow. Right. We think like God is saying, here's an invitation, RSVP if you want to. But actually what he's doing is he's speaking your destiny into motion. And he doesn't have to do anything else. Are you hearing me? He's already done it. He's already spoken into motion. I've just got to choose to step into it and walk into it. See, I believe what God is doing in the body of Christ in this season is he's taking us from the waiting room to the delivery room. From that place of waiting on God and waiting for things to come. I think that's become the church's biggest, uh, uh, most offensive thing that we do to God. As we get hesitant, we get procrastinating, and we get to just sitting on our blessed assurance, and somehow we try to use a spiritual term like, I'm just waiting on God. No, my friend, God's waiting on you to actually believe what he said to you in the first place. And I wept in the back of that church. I mean, how many times did God have to tell me? But, but I didn't respond. The relationship ended. And on January 17th, 1997, I took 250 prescription pills, a bottle of gin and a 12 pack of beer. And I laid down to die or so I thought. Nobody knows how it happened. I ended up in a church 12 miles away from where I was living. 
and I dropped dead on a pastor, uh, on a pastor's office. Uh, pastor's name was David Vendrun, and it was first day out of seminary. Welcome to the ministry. I dropped dead in his office. He didn't believe in resurrection, so he dialed 911. Thank God for 911. They came, they revived me, brought me to a hospital. I was in a coma for two and a half days. At the end of the two and a half days, a bright light came into the room, uh, and the Lord said, Son, I've not changed my mind about you. I've called you to go around the world preaching the gospel. Wherever you go, lives will be touched and changed. You'll be the one to win your brother. And he brought me to what I call the outer banks of hell. You could smell the burning flesh, the sulfur. You could hear screams of agony, people crying out. Wagner, why didn't you tell me this place was real? Uh, you, you, you've been to church uh, twice on Sunday, every Wednesday night your whole life. Why didn't you tell us this place was real? Uh, and the Lord said, if you'll give me your life, I'll use you to rescue people from this place. I'll tell you this, that I died empty, but I woke up hungry. I died empty. I died with nothing to live for. And I woke up with this hunger for God. I was just fast forward it to you that uh, 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 11 months later, I'm in an all night men's prayer meeting and the Lord speaks to me. Uh, he says, move to Pensacola, a place I never heard of before. And so uh, 11 days later with $141 in my pocket and a van that didn't have reverse, I moved to Pensacola. I got lost in town. I, I got turned around. I pulled into a driveway, opened the door to push myself out like Fred Flintstone. And this couple came out, Dan and Carolyn Weaver, and they asked me if I was David Wagner. It was a divine appointment that was actually a setup, and they gave me a place to stay. I was in Pensacola for about a month. I was trying to find where I fit. How many know every one of us has a longing for belonging? That's why you're in Belmont Church, a part of Legacy Church in Nashville on a Sunday afternoon at four o'clock. But we all have this longing for belonging. Where do I fit? Where's my family? Where's that family of faith? Who are the people that are gonna build me up and connect me to destiny and purpose and all of those things? And I was in that place of frustration. I went to everything that said it wasn't church as usual and found out it was church as usual. Ever been there? Anything that said revival, I was there. And, and I was there for about a month and the Lord, uh, I said, Lord, tell me where I'm supposed to be or I'm gonna go back. He said, what are you gonna go back to? I said, exactly. Uh, and, and so he said, this is your year for Jubilee. I said, I know it's the year of Jubilee. I don't even know what that means. And he said, look in the phone book. There was Jubilee Christian Center and, and I went. Uh, I walked in the door that day. There was a couple there, Harold and Barbara Bowling. When I walked in, <clears throat> Harold looked at me in the eyes and I tried to look down. He said, look at me, boy. And I looked at him and he said, I don't know who you are, son, but the Lord told me that he calls you son and he's called you to go around the world preaching the gospel. Wherever you go, lives will be touched and changed and you're gonna win your brother. Wow. I survived the meeting because it was the craziest place I've ever been. I mean, my pastor was Pentecostal. He had Pentecostal hair. He had the big, the power of God. Uh, and uh, See, when you preach long enough, you just, you just roll with everything. Like, that was a power surge in the spirit. And, and that's when you're supposed to go, woo! You know? And um, uh, oh, we're going to have fun. And you're going to like it. We're not leaving here till 1 a.m. I don't care who you are. You ain't going to get through this boy right here. I am a man of steel. I have an ab. Come back, come back, Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and, and so uh, I, I, I go, I survived the meeting. The Lord tells me the next day, go to the prayer meeting. And so I went to see the Titanic instead. Next night, he said, go to the prayer meeting. And I go to the mall. And before I can get out of the car, Jesus shook me 
and said, where'd you go last night? And I said, Lord, only you know. Uh, and he said, if you don't get to the prayer meeting, you'll have a Titanic experience. I survived the prayer meeting. I start walking out and the pastor's son grabs me by the side of my jeans and says, uh, what's your name? I said, David. He said, you know, David, you got a call of God on your life. He's called you to go around the world preaching the gospel. Wherever you go, lives will be touched and changed. Wow. I'm not just telling you a story today. I'm, I'm actually going somewhere in a minute, okay? But, but I want you to know who's ministering to you. And I want you to know that I'm not just talking from head knowledge, but I'm talking from experience. I want you to know the anatomy of your prophetic word of how to bring your word from just a word over your life to seeing it become a word uh, that's a part of your life. Uh, and so I'm in this place and uh, I start going to the church and, and no kidding, every time a prophetic guy comes to the church, no matter where I'm sitting, front, back, in the middle, uh, I get called out. You right there, right there, lift up your hands. Uh, you know, the God, Lord says he's called you to go around the world preaching the gospel wherever you go, lives we touch and change. It was like my word, it came 24 times. But there was one huge problem. I didn't want to go anywhere. I was just thankful to be alive. I was the janitor of the church, the cook in the Christian school, and I was just happy to be alive. I, I couldn't see how any way that God could use me. I had a huge fear of man. I had a huge fear of rejection, and I had a huge fear of public speaking. I couldn't look people in the eye. I couldn't talk. I couldn't communicate. And so I was just in the kitchen, and there was this lady who was working in the kitchen with me. Her name is Sixta McKeel. And Sixta was from Panama. She was probably one of the wildest, craziest women I've ever met in my life. She had this scar that went from her ear to her throat where she was in a knife fight. And uh, Sixta was a wild woman. She was a part of gangs and drugs and all kinds of stuff in Panama. Marries a U.S. Air Force guy, gets saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, they move back to, to Pensacola. And um, she gets touched by the Lord. The Holy Spirit just comes upon her. She's in revival. She's witnessing. She's going back to, to Panama, doing missions work, all of those things. Uh, and she, um, in the midst of a move of God, gets hit with pancreatic cancer, goes blind, withers away to 75 pounds, and ultimately dies. They brought Sixta to the morgue of West Florida Hospital in Pensacola. And she's in the morgue for nine hours. After nine hours, the guy is working in the hospital, brings uh, another body into the morgue, and as he looks around, he sees a sheet moving. Wow. He goes to where the sheet is moving, and he pulls the sheet back, and Sixta opens her eyes and says, Sancocho, por favor. She asks for a type of Panamanian chicken soup. The, the guy goes out, changes his pants, comes back and brings her some soup. <laughs> Listen, she, she died blind but woke up seeing. They had removed her pancreas and the rest of her life, we have the medical documentation in our church, the rest of her life, the, her pancreas actually grew back. Wow. How many know when you've been dead, you don't fear dying? Yeah. And so she goes to, to Panama, she, at Panama at 65 years old, but she doesn't just go to Panama, she goes to the worst barrio of Panama where, where the police don't go, soldiers don't go, it's overrun with gangs, violence and murder. There's bodies that are often just laid in the street for days because everybody's afraid. And she goes there to San Miguelito. And she's there and she has a little mission house and a little feeding center. And her first week there, she's walking from the feeding center back to her house. Two guys, two bandits jump out of a ditch, hold her at gunpoint. Now Sixta does not respond like a normal human being. She actually laughs at them and says, in the nombre de Jesus. And the two guys go running. You would think that Sixta would just be thankful and go to her house, but no, Sixta goes into pursuit. 
65-year-old lady chasing 21-year-old men with guns. 65-year-old Sixta catches 21-year-old men with guns. She takes the guns away from them, holds them at gunpoint, and makes them say the sinner's prayer. Now, I am not saying that's how you do evangelism, but for Sixta, it worked. Those guys became her bodyguards and evangelists and powerful things. So Sixta was home on a furlough. And she was working in the kitchen, just volunteering on days she wasn't doing other stuff. And she would annoy the snot out of me. You ever meet Christians that just annoy the snot out of you? They're all spiritual. And I'm having an encounter with Jesus right now. And he's talking to me. And he tells me I'm so beautiful. And I'm so awesome. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not even on the ground right now. I'm levitating. I'm having all of this encounter right now. And I'm thinking, no, you're not. You're supposed to be washing the dishes, feeding the kids. That's why we're here but she would be off in la-la Holy Spirit land. We, we would, at times, I would be, you know, serving lunch, and all of a sudden, six is on the floor. Te amo, Jesus. No, hay nadie como tú. I love you, Jesus. There's no one else like you. And, and I'm, she's making grease angels on the floor. I said, in the name of Jesus, get up, Sixta. And it was always, sometimes I felt like it was the flesh because it always came when I was having to scrub the pots and the pans. <laughs> and she would annoy the snot out of me. Every day she'd come at me. When are you going to go to Panama? I said, Sixta, I'm never going to Panama. I like Pensacola. I like America. I like Tennessee, uh, Nashville, uh. No, she said, silly, Davy. I asked the Lord, and the Lord, he said, yes. I said, six to ask again, because I asked the Lord, and the Lord, he said, no. See, no, see, no, no, see. Every day, when are you going to go to Panama? Finally, I got so sick of it. I said, you know what, six, I'll tell you what, I'll go to every other nation, but I won't go to Panama because you bother me. Silly Davy, I asked the Lord, and the Lord, he said, yes. <laughs> one day, she gets up off the floor. It's one o'clock in the afternoon, and she comes at me with that crazy charismatic look. You know what I'm talking about? Half drunk, half crazy. She starts pointing the drunk finger at me like, I'm going to find you over there. She comes at me, and I'm afraid. I'm very afraid. She goes, I'm so tired of hearing you word over your life. You're going to go around the world preaching the gospel everywhere you go. Lives will be touched and changed. I say, when you're going to go to Panama? You say, I know go to Panama. I like America. So I asked the Lord when I was on the floor right there. I asked the Lord. I say, Lord, why David go nowhere? And the Lord, he say, he no have a passport. So Sixta grabbed me by my ear. Wasn't a very nice Christian sisterly thing to do. She grabs me by my ear, marches me into the office and slams me in a chair. She pulls out a passport application from her purse and says, you're going to fill it out right now. Wow. So I was going to fill it out and I was going to get to my social security number and I was going to put the wrong number in. And right about the time I was about to write a different number, she said, oh, and I asked the Lord, and the Lord said, you're going to make a mistake. But don't worry, if you do, I have more. And she pulls out a whole stack of passport applications. She must have went to every post office in Pensacola and took all their applications. 
I fill it out right. And I think to myself, okay, I would just never, ever turn it in. That's not good enough. Sixta grabs me by my ear, throws me in her van, brings me to the post office. They take my mugshot. She pays for the thing to be expedited, and it shows up at my house on the 22nd of February, on the 20th of February, 2002. And on the 22nd of February, 2002, I was in Panama for the first time. I've been, in, I've been in 60 nations of the earth. I've seen the dead raised, the blind see, the deaf hear. I've seen somewhere about 750,000 people give their lives to Jesus. But I would never have gone anywhere. I'd still be sitting on my blessed assurance at the corner of Airport and W at Jubilee Church in Pensacola, Florida, had I not been provoked by a wild Panamanian. See, some of you right now, you just need to be provoked into your prophetic word. You need to be provoked into what God has said over your life. I know some of you came here today saying, if I can just get my 30th confirmation, I'll go. I know I heard the word 17 times, but eight, on the 18th time, God, I promise I'll actually go and do something. But how many times does he have to tell you to do something that something's going to happen in your life before you actually believe it? See, there's something that happens. I believe that many times we are unbelieving believers. We can believe for what God said about Lyle. We can believe what God said about Pastor Jeff. We can believe what God said about our neighbor and our friend. But when it comes to us, we're filled with doubt and unbelief. And doubt and unbelief is not lack of faith. It's simply believing something other than what God said. Some of you right now, you need to just simply believe what God said. Here's some practical things. I don't have time to go there. Second Kings chapter eight, verse four. It's the story of the Shunammite woman. Here is a woman who prepares a room. She recognizes an anointing on the prophet Elisha. And so she feeds him whenever he comes because she realizes that the way to the prophet's gift and to his heart are through his stomach. Revelation. She, she builds a room on for him. And whenever he comes through town, he, he stays there. And he realizes something, that she's gone through a lot of care for him. And so she, he asks his servant Gehazi, what should be done for her? Gehazi said, well, her husband is old and she doesn't have a son. So he calls for her and she stands in the doorway and he says, about this time next year, you'll have a son. And she responds in the most crazy way to a prophecy I've ever read. She said, don't lie to me. She didn't say, oh, shakaraba, sandaraba. Yes, Lord. She didn't get all excited in the Holy Ghost. She, she didn't shout down. She, she just simply said, don't lie to me. Don't tell me what you think I want to hear. Don't tickle my emotions. Don't just give me something nice to say. But if you're going to give me a word, give me a word from heaven. And the Bible says that it happened just as she was told. Eight years goes by, that boy is doing great. He's grown up, he's, he's working with his dad in the field, gets hit uh, with uh, a sickness. They bring him back to the mama. The baby dies, the eight-year-old boy dies in his, in his mother's lap. And she responds to death. She responds to the death of her promise completely different than anything I've ever seen. She doesn't call for the undertaker. She doesn't plan a funeral. She doesn't call the prayer team. She doesn't even tell her husband she puts the baby into the, the chamber that she prepared for the prophetic word to come in the first place. And she goes out after Elisha. His servant tries to keep her away, but she falls at his feet, grabs him, 
and said, didn't I tell you not to lie to me? He sends Gehazi, the servant, back and says, lay my staff on the child. And she said, you know what? You can try to send the middleman, but I don't need a middleman. I need the person who made the promise to come with me. See, in the Old Testament, you had to go through a prophet. Aren't you glad that we're in the New Testament? We get to go right to Jesus. I don't need a middleman. I don't need any. I can go straight to him. And so she grabs a hold of, of Elisha and Elisha goes and and the Bible says that he went into the room and he paced and he went and he laid on that baby boy and on that little eight-year-old boy and he put his mouth on his mouth and his head on his head and his hands on his hands and he breathed into him. The boy warmed up and then he sat up and sneezed and coughed seven times and they gave him something to eat, gave him back to the mother. Here's what I want you to know. You could read it at another time, but in that story, you will find the anatomy of a prophetic word. Give me five minutes and I'll be done. Here's what you need to do if you get a prophetic word. And every one of us has a word over our life. Every one of us has heard the Lord speak to us. Whether it come from a prophet, whether it come from the, the written word of God, whether it come from that still small voice. There are things that we just know. How many know that we have a saying sometimes in the South, I got a knowing in my knower. There's just some things that I just know. I know what God's called me to. But here's what I believe. Number one, you need to prepare to accommodate. It's one thing to prepare for what you've seen and what you've known. It's another thing completely different to prepare for what you've never seen and you've never known. And I believe that you're about to chart off, you're about to step into some things you've never known before, you've never seen before, you've never heard before, it's never been done before. I say it often, my favorite saying is this, is that God would rather have you be an amateur in the new thing than a professional in the old thing. And there are some new things that God wants you to pioneer and to step into. And I've got to prepare to accommodate for what I don't have a blueprint for. All I have is the word of the Lord, but sometimes the word of the Lord is enough. Sometimes the word of the Lord is enough. She prepared to accommodate. Secondly, she positioned herself. Some of you this afternoon, God's positioning you to hear a word from God. This is a season where God, I know a lot of people are looking for different things, but if you will just get in proximity of Jesus, more miracles happen out of proximity and being positioned around him than for any other reason. Number three, as she positioned herself, she received the word. Some of you right now, you need to learn how to receive. Some of us are really good at giving, but it's really hard to receive when you're always giving. She received the word. She tested the word. And then the word tested her. Some of you right now, you're in a season of testing. And testing doesn't come to see if you'll fail. Actually, God will bring you through a test because he's setting you up to pass, to graduate, to go to a whole new level. He, he's a good God. He, he's a good father. A couple of, or many years ago now, in 2004, we were just in full-time ministry for about a year and a half, two years we had three children, Era's our oldest. We have two boys at the time, Benjamin and uh, Caleb. And uh, my wife was expecting our fourth child. And uh, uh, we, uh, it was an amazing, exciting time. My wife was about uh, six months pregnant. Uh, I did something that I never did before. Um, I stood my wife up in a meeting in our home church. I started prophesying to her. I said, you're pregnant with a girl. We're going to name her Rhema Joy because the word brings joy. She's going to be a praise and worship leader. She's going to dance around the throne. Uh, you know, she's going to bring people in the presence of God and, uh, and, and all of those things. We were excited. 
And um, everything was going great. She's six months pregnant. I'm out ministering in Connecticut. And about six in the morning, uh, the day before I was supposed to come home, uh, my son Caleb, who was about two and a half at the time, walked into my wife's room, uh, climbed up in bed and said, Mommy, you need to go to the doctor. The baby has a boo-boo. Wow. My wife said, No, honey, you just had a, a dream, a bad dream. You need to go back to sleep. And uh, my wife woke up a few hours later, and she was hemorrhaging. She was bleeding. Wow. She called me up. I canceled my, the rest of my trip. I got on a plane. I landed in Pensacola. We went to the doctor. Uh, they did the sonogram, the ultrasounds, and the baby was in the womb, uh, but there was something that was missing. The, the tech was doing the sonogram and began just, you could see concern on her face, went and got another tech, tech, same kind of thing, went and got a nurse, and then finally the doctor, and the doctor came in and just said, oh, I'm so sorry, your baby's dead. In that moment, the enemy jumped on my shoulder and said, you stupid prophet, what are you going to do now that your baby's dead? It's on CD. It's written out. Everybody in the congregation heard it. Your wife heard it. You stood your wife up, you dumb, prophetic voice, you. What are you going to do now that your baby's dead? And I'll tell you what I did. I did everything I knew to do, was trained to do. I laid hands on my wife. I spoke life. I said, look again. And can I tell you something? Nothing changed. And we watched as that baby would be dead on the inside of my wife and they would come in and say, you're going to have to uh, give birth to this. And we're going to have to uh, you know, do this procedure and all of those things. And, uh, and, and I will tell you, in that moment, I was in great despair. And I ran to the house of God because I knew if I didn't, it probably wouldn't work out good for me. And I, I, my wife and I, we fell on the pastor's couch. And he said something about the mercy of God, which I didn't want to hear. And all of a sudden, God just began to minister to me. And I began to scream out, God, even if you slay me, I'll still trust you. We got our composure. We went home and um, we sat the kids down and said there wouldn't be a baby sister. And they were crying, of course. And my little boy, Ben, was five at the time. And he just said, uh, Daddy, that's so sad. But sometimes Jesus sends uh, dead people back like that lazy guy in the Bible. Uh, he was talking about Lazarus. And <laughs> my other little boy was just crying and and all of a sudden, Era just said, she was about seven years old, and just said, um, Mommy, Davy, Jesus didn't lie to you. I see her, I see her. Jesus is pushing her on a swing set. The baby you'll never hold, Jesus is holding. She doesn't grow up in earth. She grows up in heaven. And I see her, and I see her. She's singing, and she's dancing around the throne of God. She's not, she's not a praise and worship leader on the earth, she's worshiping around the throne of God. He didn't lie to you. He didn't lie to you. He didn't lie to you. Next day, we had to go and go through the procedure. and It wasn't a very fun weekend. Sunday came, and my wife couldn't go, but I took the kids to church, and it was baby dedication Sunday. When I'm home, I prophesy over all the babies. And I'll just tell you, I didn't want to do it, but there's sometimes you just got to do what you know to do. There were eight babies that day, and the first one was a little girl, a little Brazilian girl named Alini. And, and, I, and I made it through, and I came down off the platform to sit in my seat on the front row. We had a guest speaker that day named Dwayne Allen. He's the nephew or the great-nephew of A.A. Allen, the great evangelist. And when I came down to sit, uh, Dwayne grabbed me by the shoulders he said, the Lord wants to know what you want. You want boys, you want girls, you want twins, you want triplets. 
And I didn't think about it. I, I just said, I'll take two more boys. I'll take a Joshua and an Isaac. And I didn't tell my wife because we already had the conversation. If I would have talked about baby, she would make the sign of scissors. I don't know what that means, but I, I know it's not good and probably painful. But I hid the word in my heart. I went to Columbia on a missions trip, came back home. And when my wife picked me up from the airport, she showed me a stick and said, you know what this means? I said, yes, baby, you had a popsicle? No, no, I'm not that dumb. Uh, it had two pluses. I realized she was pregnant and we got excited and she was pregnant with a little boy and the pregnancy went perfect. Nine months, perfect doctor reports. But every time you went, you, you went with a little bit of fear, afraid that you would experience what you had just experienced a year before. And the time came on November 1st, 2005, for her to give birth to, to Josh, and everything was going perfect. And right about the time she was transitioning, and it was at the time for the final kind of pushes, bells and whistles went off in the room. Doctors came in, and they were trying to figure, they said, something's wrong, we've lost the heartbeat, all of that stuff. And I will tell you, in that moment, it just came to me. Not this time. Not this time. And I prayed and it was a Catholic hospital and I didn't care who heard me and I didn't care if it was tongues or in English and I, I just prayed and the doctors were trying to push me away but I, I refused to move and he came out and Josh was born with the cord wrapped around his throat three times and wasn't breathing, he was blue and they tried to move him off to the side and I went and I kept holding his little foot and just praying in the name of Jesus and for almost five minutes he didn't breathe and all of a sudden after about five minutes he let out the greatest scream I ever heard. And I made a covenant with God, no matter how loud he got, I would never complain about it. Now, sometimes I regret that covenant because he is the loudest kid, isn't he? He is the loudest kid. But man, that kid has a revelation, man. He's had these trips and these encounters with God in heaven. And he, I'll lay next to him at night and he talks to me about wanting to be an astronaut and a preacher. And I don't get how you preach to Martians, but, but go for it, dude. Right? He just wants, he's out of this world. He's got an amazing imagination and he's loud and he's creative and he's constantly doing stuff and annoying all of us. But at the same time, he's one of the greatest promises of God. Why am I sharing this with you today? Because I've discovered this, that it's often that every dream has its death before it has its day. And whenever you feel like your promise, what God has said over your life, seems the farthest part away or the opposite of what he said, I'm just here to tell you that it's probably closer than when you think. Here's where I'll end today. The process is never easy, but it's always worth it. That the process, that your prophecy, your promise is an invitation into a process. And in that process, probably a part of you is gonna die. And anything in you that can be shaken will probably be shaken. But when you come through the process, I can tell you that the promise of God is so sweet and so amazing and so awesome. I can stand before you pure-hearted, whole 100% telling you I have absolutely no regrets in my life. Why? Because God, listen, God doesn't waste anything. He doesn't waste a moment. He doesn't waste a tear. He doesn't waste a prayer. Earlier this year, I was at Grace Center down in Franklin. And the Lord just gave me this revelation. I, I never said it before, never heard it before. 
I talked a lot, a lot about when I would share my story that how I wasted the first 26 years of my life. And all of a sudden, I was down there. I don't know if I was at their school or an emanate night. And the Lord just said, what you call wasted, I call perfume. What you call wasted, I call perfume. See, there are things that out of the trial, God will build trust. Out of the circumstances and the situations and the warfare around your life, God will build this amazing testimony, this amazing story. One of my favorite people in the Bible is Mary Magdalene. I love her because she's always criticized. But nobody knows the cost of her alabaster box coming from a place of prostitution, coming from a place of, of wasted life. She prepares the body of Jesus for burial. She breaks the alabaster box over him. and She gives an offering that offends the disciples. I want to give offerings like that. I want to give offensive offerings. Judas and the others said, all of that could have been sold. It's a year's worth of wages. It could be used to feed the poor. Jesus said, the poor you'll have with you always, but what she's done is what you guys couldn't do. She'll prepare my body for burial. And wherever the gospel is preached, it will be a memorial to her. We're still talking about her today, but here's what I believe it meant. Because she didn't just give a little dab and she didn't just pour a little bit. She, she didn't measure, she poured. That it didn't just get on him, it got on her. So wherever she went for the rest of her life, they would say that surely she's been with Jesus. What you call wasted, God calls perfume. There are moments, there are things that we walk through in life. They are not pretty, they are not glamorous, they are not fun, but it is not in our nature to be overcome because we are overcomers. And I believe that there is an anointing to overcome. There's an anointing where the Lord is about to resurrect some dreams in this place today. Some of you have been in the process and you feel on the inside of you like your baby is dead, like your promise is dead, that the thing God spoke to you, promised you, the thing you dreamed about, you feel like it will never happen. But I'm here to tell you that I know last Sunday was Easter Sunday, but I'm here to tell you that today is another resurrection Sunday, that God is about to resurrect your dream. He's about to resurrect your promise, that every prophecy, listen, you may be in a place where you feel like you're shipwrecked. Paul was there in Acts 27 and 28, and everybody was wanting to jump ship, and he said, don't worry, don't be afraid. It will happen just as you were told. I've got good news for you. The Lord's gonna bring you from the place where you hear and it shall come to pass to the place of where it came to pass. I believe the word of the Lord in this city isn't just coming to pass, it's coming to stay. The word of the Lord over this church and over this movement and over your life isn't coming to pass, it's coming to stay. Well, I feel the presence of God dropping in the room today. I feel maybe that's what the warfare that Lyle and Allison felt last night was. When you feel opposition on every side, it's probably because you're going in the right direction. I get nervous when I'm on easy street. I don't like to hang around people that aren't going through something, haven't been through something, or about to go through something. Because you haven't been and you're not going and you're not about to go, you're probably not going in the right direction. But if everything around you is shaken and all hell is breaking loose and nothing looks like it's supposed to, 
I want to get alongside of you. I want to be like six to McKeel and say, I hear the Lord and the Lord. He say, Jess, I've just come by today. I hear a yes in the spirit. I've just come by today to tell you that it may feel like it's dead on the inside, but I feel resurrection life in the room this morning or this evening or whatever time it is. It's morning somewhere. And I just believe the presence of God is about to drop in this room. Hope is about to be released. Hope is about to rise on your behalf. I'm telling you right now, there are some of you in this place. I'm not a prophet for profit. I'm not looking for an offering, not asking for an offering. And I'm saying that because I'm about to say something to you that I want you to know that it's coming and with no strings attached. The Lord is about to release the Father's funds into this place. That you're about to, the Lord is about to release the backing of heaven. He's about to release His resources of people, of places, of things, of, of finance. And the hand of the Lord is coming to unlock it like never before. For some of you, the only thing stopping you from the dream of God coming in your life, for you going and laying down your life in Africa or India or, or, or in Nashville or whatever it is, is finance. And I'm telling you right now that the Lord is about to break the fear of finance off of this generation. There is a, I just felt like the Lord said, I was listening to all of these politicians and all of this stuff that was happening. It's driving me bonkers. And I felt like the Lord said, this generation isn't looking for a handout. But this generation is looking to release what God's put in them. And I'm here to prophesy to you that it could go down in history as this, is that this is one of the greatest generations of generosity that have ever existed. And I believe that God is about to send angels of generosity to you. That some of you, there's a big dream in you. Some of you, that's church planting. Some of you, that's the mission field. Some of you, it's in the public schools. Some of you, it's in the medical field. For some of you, it's in marketing. For some of you, it's on college campuses. I don't care what God said to you, but I do want you to know this, that if he said it, he will do it. Come on, I feel right now the pressure coming off of your promise today. That some of you right now, you're about to move from process to promise like never before. So Jesus, right now in this place, would I release life and life more abundantly. Lord, I thank you right now. It's a new season and a new day for everybody within the sound of my voice tonight. If you're here in this place, you say, Dave, you're talking right to me. I've been in this process and I feel like my baby's dead. I feel like everything is opposite. I'm about to give up on it. I'm just barely hanging on. If I'm talking to you right now, I want you to stand to your feet because resurrection life is about to come to you. Somebody within the sound of my voice needs to hear this word. It's not how you start, but how you finish that counts. I feel like some of you have been held hostage by your past. Talked to a man last night for 22 years, holding on to a secret because he felt like nobody would know and nobody would understand. 
feel like he's losing everything. And I don't want anybody in this room to look back 22 months from now or 22 years from now and realize you're still being held hostage by your past. I told my story on purpose and with purpose today because I'm not ashamed of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. My story brings him glory. The very thing that I thought God could never use is the thing that he uses the most. This is my message around the world. The thing that I was the most ashamed of is the thing that God has become most proud of. There's a divine exchange right now. And I felt like the Lord was breaking off spiritual sabotage. I feel like some of you have gotten right to the brink and right at the last moment, something sabotages your ministry, something sabotages your gifts, something sabotages what he's promised you. And I've come by here today to break that off of you in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, would you fall in this room? Would I release resurrection life and power to every dream, to every prophecy? Would I break off every stigma and every lie of the enemy? I'm going to get personal in a minute. I'm, you can respond if you want to. You don't have to if you don't feel comfortable. But I feel like there's like three people in the room tonight that you feel completely disqualified because of divorce. Some system told you because you were divorced in the past that you couldn't be ordained and you couldn't, I'm here to, I just felt like the Lord wants to break that off and cancel it tonight. Come on, if God can use me, he can use you. And I'm here to tell you right now that God is breaking off every disqualifier. And that quite possibly the very thing that you thought disqualified you is the, thing that, is the thing that God will use to qualify you. I feel like the Lord's breaking the stigma off of some people that have struggled with mental illness, with depression and bipolar and anxiety disorders. I can honestly tell you that in 19 years, I've never had another day of depression. I've never heard another voice that wasn't the voice of God. I've not just had no symptoms. I've been completely set free. And if he did it for me, he'll do it for you. He will bring divine order into every disorder. And I break the stigma and the fear that comes with it. And I just declare that right now there's a rewiring like I started today. Some of you are being rewired in your nervous system. Some of you are being rewired in your mind. There is a renewing of the mind taking place right now. Lord, I release resurrection life in every son and every daughter in this place today. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Some of you in this moment, God's healing the prophetic words on the inside of you. Hebrews 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast our confession again to hope. For he who made the promise is faithful. 
I may not know much, but I know the faithfulness of God. I know the Spirit of the Lord. And I feel His faithfulness in this room. I feel the faithfulness of the Father. The faithful Father is in the room. I don't know how to explain it other than to tell you how He said it to me. He's about to make good on His Word. He's about to make good on every promise. Holy Spirit, right now, Granny, your greatest days aren't behind you, they're in front of you. Your greatest days of influence, of impact, and of ministry aren't behind you, they are in front of you. And I felt like the Lord has given you a mind for finance. You know how to pinch a penny, you know how to stretch a dollar, you know how to find a deal. And it's not because you're frugal, it's because you're a good steward. You've been a good steward of the resources of God. Not just physical, but spiritual. And I saw the Lord just releasing an outpouring of healing and wholeness on you. From the time we got in the car yesterday at the airport and drove to Owensboro. And this morning, honestly, when I looked at you, you didn't look old yesterday, but you looked 10 years younger this morning. And when we walked into this place again tonight and I looked at you, you looked younger again. And the Lord said, you're not growing older, you're growing younger. And I just really felt like the Lord said every last word he's promised you, he's going to bring it to pass. I heard the Lord call you his prayer partner. He loves meeting with you in the morning. He loves talking to you. One thing he said he loves about you, Granny, is that you take time to listen. You've mastered the art of prayer in the sense of you're not just talking to God, but you're listening. Lord, I thank you right now for resurrection life. Lord, the greatest days, you saved the best days of her life for the rest of the days of her life. Lord, I send the healing word to Allison right now. Lord, every symptom, Lord, every bug, every virus, Lord, we expel it from her body. And Lord, we declare that, Lord, no more even pregnancy sickness or morning sickness. That, Lord, right now, that, Lord, you're boosting her immune system. Lord, I thank you right now for the amazing, uh, Lord, just supernatural anointing and atmosphere over their house. Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for what you're about to bring forth, what you're about to birth, what you're about to do, Lord, like never before. Somebody right now, I don't know how to explain it, but I saw the Lord like in the back part of the the neck into the like C3, C4. I don't know if there's been like a bulging disc or something that's painful and times it causes just numbness to go down your arms. And I feel like the Lord is healing you of that right now. Holy Spirit right now. Fill this room. Lord, release your breath, God. Breathe on every promise. Breathe on every promise. I just kept hearing the Lord say when you were talking a little while ago that he's so proud of you. And one thing he's very proud of you is this, is you looked fear in the face. 
And you weren't moved, but fear moved. You drove fear back. And you let faith arise. And I felt like the Lord said, you're a brilliant prophetic teacher. And God's going to give you life experience. You're going to teach people not just out of truth, not just from intellect, but out of experience. You're a great communicator. I wasn't just hearing words out of your mouth. I was hearing the heart of God behind it. And the Lord says that he has you on an amazing journey and there's great joy in the journey. And I felt like the Lord's about to calm some people down around your life. I feel like, I don't know if it's family or what, but I saw some people with ruffled feathers that were questioning decisions, almost kind of micromanaging. And I saw the Lord silencing the mouth of the accuser and the naysayers. And I felt like the Lord said, I ordained it before the foundation of the earth. And I'm just telling you right now, the Lord says that you're a mover and a shaker. You're a mountain mover. And you're going to begin to shake some things up. So I kept hearing the Lord say, you're one of his top producers. He's anointed you to produce what he loves, what he likes. And I almost feel like there's been this holding back or this sideline time. But I felt like the Lord's about to relight a fire and cause you to re-engage in new realms like never before. And I just felt like the Lord said that this is the season where he's gonna give you an identity message. And I felt, I just saw you traveling around, talking to people, talking to men, talking to young people about identity. And Lord, I just released right now just the blessings and the breakthrough of heaven like never before. In Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for Trenton. When we had dinner a couple weeks ago on that Wednesday night, I walked away and the Lord spoke one word to me about you and the word was valor. That you're a man of valor. Sometimes there's a Gideon complex on the inside of you that doesn't feel like you're up to the task, but I felt like the Lord said, I made you mighty. And I made you like a Caleb to look at mountains of impossibility and not shy away, but actually charge into them. And I felt like the Lord said, although you are younger in birth order, there's actually even a greater place of leadership upon you. Nothing wrong with brother and sister, but I feel like there is this place of leadership that's on you that is so entrenched. And I know you're studying in a different course, but I felt like you're about to discover and about to encounter Jesus, the pastor. Trent, now I believe that there's a pastoring gift on the inside of you. And you're going to pastor people in the presence of God. There's something greater in you than you've ever seen or ever known before. And I saw you working as a part of a team, a visionary, not just in a church, but in churches. Lord, I thank you for the integrity and the character that's far beyond this young man.
Son, I don't know how to explain it other than I heard the Lord say to tell you that he trusts you. That he trusts you with the secrets of his heart. That he trusts you with provision. And yet you've got good work ethic. You know how to do stuff and you, you work for it. You earn it. But I felt like the Lord has some supernatural surprises for you. There's some more grants. There's some more scholarship things for you. You've been on a faith journey. But I'm telling you that your faith journey is turning into a favor journey. That Psalm 5 verse 12 is all over you. The favor of the Lord's upon you. It's around you like a shield. Molly, a few months back, I text Era because the Lord showed me all of these ladybugs and butterflies. And I feel like that the Lord has been speaking to you through nature, but it's almost like you didn't know this was God talking to me. And I asked the Lord as I was driving from Owensboro back here today for a specific word for you. And here's the word, healing. The Lord is gonna use you in powerful ways to bring healing, not just to things people can see, but healing to the heart and to the soul. I don't know if I've ever been told what you're studying, but I saw you standing in a classroom and you weren't just teaching children or teaching young people. I saw you molding minds. You're not just going to be a teacher. You're going to be a transformer. And I just really feel like the Lord is bringing you into a place of discovery. And I feel like you've been almost kind of in this place of finding God in this and finding God in that. And I saw you like a butterfly coming out of a cocoon. It's like people have this idea of who Molly is, but the real Molly's about to emerge. It wasn't that you weren't being true to who you are. It's not that you weren't being true to you, but there's more to you than what people have seen. And I just feel like the Lord is breaking the mold. He's, he's actually causing you to get your wings and to soar and to fly like never before. And the Lord said at times you're your own worst critic. You put a lot of pressure on yourself to study and perform and to go to class, all of those things. But I feel like this last month, although there's gonna be testing and exams, you're actually gonna define it as the most fun you've had. Lord, I just ask that, Lord, you would reveal yourself to Molly like never before. That you would prove yourself to her, not because you have to, but because you really want to. Here's where I'll end, Molly. I know maybe this is new to you. I felt like you're about to have unusual encounters with the love of God. That you're going to discover how much He really, really loves you. So Lord, bless her right now. In Jesus' name. Lord, I speak resurrection life into every dream, into every prophecy, into every word. Lord, I ask that you would heal prophetic wounds that maybe somebody got a word that somebody missed or it was given in the wrong context or timing or delivery system. Lord, would you heal that word and resurrect it? Lord, I thank you right now that you're making Nashville an eagle's nest. A place for the eagles to take off and to soar. But I thank you for what you're doing at Legacy Nashville. Lord, for the outpouring of your spirit that's gonna sweep through the streets of this city. Lord, it's gonna change the culture. It's gonna change the society. 
Lord, I thank you for the breakthrough anointing and the gifts and the, and the, the glory of God to come. Lord, I release life and life more abundantly. Lord, I bless my friends today. In Jesus' name, amen. Could we just thank David and bless him? Real good. We're so grateful for everything that he shared tonight. I know that I speak for us all, that that just blessed us tremendously. And uh, I'm sorry you haven't been here for a little while because we need you here. We need your what's on your life, and we acknowledge our need of it, David. It's always so good. You know one thing I love um, about when you come here is that I get to listen to other people um, just be prophesied to. Because I think one of the, my most favorite things is hearing what God has to say about my friends. Because it trains me on how to relate to them. Because a lot of times we see each other, you know, according to the flesh. And, you know, we think we've got somebody summed up or sized up. And then we hear a prophetic word over their lives. And then it changes the way that we perceive them. Because we know something new that God has to say over their lives. So... If, if, you, uh, if you weren't someone getting a prophetic word, but you were hearing your friend receive a prophetic word, let that realign how you interact with them. Because you've got to hear something God had to say about them tonight. So if you guys don't mind just to stand up, we're going to formally dismiss. We'll have some more ministry time here in the altars, and we have some people who are a part of our ministry team who will be ready and prepared to pray for you as well. But we're going to send you out tonight. I know that we need to uh, grab our kids if... Um, if you have some kids down in children's ministry, please go pick them up promptly and then come back to the altar if you'd like to receive some ministry. But I just want to pray you guys out and just bless you. We always uh, just release a declaration over our hearts, over our, our, our bodies, our, our spirit, our mind, and our week, our jobs um, from number six. So just receive this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. God bless you guys all big time. We love you so much. And this Wednesday, we're going to have some house church. You guys check social media uh, for where to go. And if you're a part of ministry team, go ahead and come up here now, please. They'll be standing in the front wearing badges. And if you'd like to receive ministry, I want you to come up and, um, and receive, all right? We'll see you on Wednesday. We'll see you on Saturday for the work day. And we'll see you next, uh, next week, Sunday here, all right? Bless you. Thanks for subscribing to the Iris Nashville podcast. We'd love to hear back from you. If you don't mind, log into the iTunes store and leave us a rating and a review. The more ratings and reviews we get, the more accessible our podcast is to new listeners. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful day. And God bless.